All right, I want to talk to you guys about the word today. You have the scripture on your note page, um, which I laughed. You see how much room that left for notes. I'm sorry. You'll just write all over the scripture there, you guys. But our passage today is in regards to the story about the prodigal son, which I'm sure that many of you have read and are very familiar with. Um, But having to do the, the theme of what I want to share out of this passage of scripture is the inheritance. And what are you and I doing with the inheritance that we've received. Because the one common thread in this passage of scripture is in regards to two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. But then it's not just the older brother and the younger brother. It's all of us as well. That we've been given an inheritance. And what are we going to do with that inheritance? So let me read over the passage of scripture really quick. And I'm going to try to go fast because I went way over time in the morning service. So please forgive me if I read fast. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got, er- got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, after all these years... I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we start with the, uh, with the premise in the beginning of that scripture. If you could imagine for me, this whole passage of scripture is, yes, a story about a dad and his two sons. But when you begin to read it, you understand that this is no ordinary father. There's something different about this father. And so that gives us the, the ability to raise our level and not look at it as just a story about a father and two sons, but look at it as a heavenly father over his house, which is our church, 
which is Lighthouse, which is the body of Christ, which is all those who would walk with him and serve him, all those that he purchased on the cross, all those that he would have walk with him and be his, and then endure, endure, enjoy the further inheritance, which is our um, place in heaven. So if you can take it to that level with me as we talk about this story. So the scripture helps us to understand that we all have the benefit of an inheritance. It says in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Ephesians 1.11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And then John 10.10 reminds us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is what happens in this passage of scripture. He wants to steal yours and my inheritance. He wants to, he wants to get us so removed from the father that we don't operate in the inheritance and live out the inheritance that he has for us. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So we've all been given an inheritance to enjoy. The two sons have both been given the same inheritance to enjoy with their father and to live in um, for the days that they're here and for all eternity. I want to show you, as we look into the rest of the passage, what we can learn about how to walk in and with our inheritance and the abundance that he's given to us. So let's look at the two sons. We're going to kind of separate them out. I don't know about you, but when I've read the prodigal son before, so much of my focus goes just on the prodigal son because the majority of the scripture passage is about that. And then we get to the bottom and we see the attitude of the older son. But then I jump back in to say, but, but yeah, he's just kind of being a brat. But yeah, look at what God did on the prodigal son. So we're going to celebrate and we're so excited that he came back home. And the older brother needs to get his act together. Just, you know what I'm saying? It's just this little bit. But honestly, today I'm going to spend more time talking about the older brother than I am going to be about the younger son. But let's talk about the younger son for a minute. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, the interesting thing about the, young son, the younger son, the younger brother, is he's living in a place where he has all of the inheritance and all of the abundance that, that he can enjoy and he can partake in. But for some reason, he begins to get this weird thing inside of him that this is not enough, that there's something out there more. Maybe part of it is, I don't like living under the authority of my father, so I'm going to go out and do my own thing. I don't want the restrictions that I feel are here in this house. I want to go out and do, do this. Or maybe it's a, oh, there's so much more to life to experience than what I see right now in front of me. So I want to go out and I want to go experience life. I'm not sure exactly what was behind the younger son's thought process that led him out of the home. But he left his inheritance at the hands of the enemy. 
in making that decision to do that. Somehow he let the enemy convince him that he could experience more and better if he would leave his father's house and take his inheritance and go spend it the way he wanted to try to spend it. So the Bible in this culture, what happens is the younger son, he goes to his father and he says, I I want you to go ahead and give me my inheritance early. Can I have that? Well, culturally, that was the same as saying, dad, would you, you're not dying fast enough. (laughs) I mean, come on. I've been waiting for you to hurry up and die so I can have this and go live it the way I want to live it. And you're not dying fast enough, so I want my inheritance. It was a great offense to the father that he would think, begin to think that way. Yet he does it, and not only is it an offense to the father, but it's an offense to the entire community that he would abandon and leave and go and squander his inheritance But the younger son does. He takes his inheritance. He sold the fields. He sold the pigs. He sold the goats, the sheep, whatever was his inheritance. And he takes it all and he goes off and he lives the way he think his life could be lived. Only to find out he's ended up in a wasteland. The sin of his choices and of his lifestyle has sucked everything out of him. There's nothing left. He's empty. He's destitute. Emotionally, I imagine, he's spent up, mentally anguished, probably feeling now um, the, the shame and the uh, fear maybe of rejection of what would happen if my father knew the way that I've been living. What about if my community and my brother knew the way that I'd been living? All of this is now what the younger son has end up being left with. And so because he's destitute in this wasteland where he squandered everything and there's nothing left to give him anything, he hires himself out as, out as a servant. And so now he's left all of the authority that he had, all of the goodness that he had, all of the riches and the abundance that he had as a son, and he walked into servanthood. Never understanding, never seeing that that small thought process, if I go and do it my way, that it would take him to that place. Isn't the way sin does? That's the way sin does. Takes us to a place we never thought of, takes everything out of us, strips us down to nothing, and then wants to entrap us into servanthood and keep us there. But God, but the Father... Oh, there's always a but when God is concerned. There's always a but. So, but the father. Now, the son stays in that perspective, though, of servitude, even when he makes the decision to come home. And this is where I often thought when this, the Bible says, this scripture passage says, he came to himself. He came to himself. Well, there's a problem whenever we come to ourself. You hear what I'm saying? Whenever we come to ourselves, here is the problem. This is what got us there to begin with. He came to himself. If I go back home to my father and I say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but I will earn it. I will serve you, dad. I'll be a servant in your house. You see, sin has so entrapped him now, he can't even see himself going back to live as a son. He can't even believe that the father would let him live as a son and enjoy the inheritance once again. He thinks he's got to come back and live as a servant and earn it. 
Well, part of the problem was that's the culture he grew up in. People, that's the church he grew up in. You mess up, you come back and earn it. I'm sorry, I'm not going to just let you, I'm not going to just let you have, live in the inheritance that God had for you. You better come back in here and earn it. I better see it in your behavior. I better see it in your attitude. I better see it in your words. You better come back and earn it. Can I just tell you, I, I am one of those people who's done that? You may never have seen it. <laughs> but it's in there. It's in there. So this is what the son is facing. You see, in that culture, you squandered your inheritance and you're cut off. I'm sure that happens in other nations probably as well. But in that culture, the father had all the permission to cut him off and say, you're done. You squandered your inheritance. That's, that's all there was. You're done. You're cut off. But not only that, but the community cut him off. He knew that if he came back and his inheritance was squandered and there was none left, that he was going to have to be, go into, they had, I don't even remember the, the, the Greek or Hebrew name of it, but it was a ceremony that they did that was an official cutting off from the community. And so he knew that if he came back destitute and without that he would be cut off. So the only way back in is maybe to not come in like I'm a son and yeah, I squandered my inheritance, but to come back in as a slave, to come back in as a servant, because then maybe they'll accept me and I can earn back what I lost. But the father, that's not what he does. Because the scripture shows us that the father every single day is watching for that son. He is looking for that son. He cannot wait for that son to start to come back. He doesn't care what kind of condition. In fact, when he sees that son, I bet outwardly that son looks nothing like when he left. Because sin doesn't leave you the way, looking like the way you were when you left. So he looks totally different. He's walking with no shoes on his feet because slaves and servants don't have shoes. That's an identifying factor. You don't have shoes. He's probably in torn rat. Who knows? You know, he may have looked like, I don't know, uh, John the Baptist gone awry. I don't, I don't know what he, what he might have looked like. But it doesn't matter because the father looks out and says, there's my son. He looked right through what was on the outside and said, I see my DNA right there. I see my characteristics right there. That's my son. That's my son. That's my daughter. I don't care what they look like on the outside. I see me in them. They are my image bearer. They've got my image. And so the father runs out to that son. And while the son, that's not a repentant heart saying, I'm going to come back and be a servant. And that's not, he hasn't understood repentance yet because he still thinks he has to earn it. But when the father gets to him, and wraps his arms around him. And all of a sudden that grace and that love and that mercy is met with sinfulness. The repentance happens. You see the scripture tells us it was in our. That he didn't wait for us to be righteous before he came. I'm paraphrasing the scripture. That he didn't wait for us to be righteous before he came to die on the cross for our sins. He did the work first. So it's our encountering grace and mercy and love that brings the repentance. But I'm going to tell you, the older brother is standing back here saying, you better earn it. 
I am a recovering older brother. You got to earn it before you should experience it, before you get it. But Jesus says, I'm going to embrace you in my love, in my mercy, and my grace. And that's what turns the heart. Today, the Father says, you have my love. You have my mercy. You have my grace. I'm not waiting for you to earn it back. I'm not waiting for you to fix it. I'm not waiting for you to get it all together. Just take my love and my grace and my mercy today. Accept it. And then we'll get rid of the dirty clothes. But you don't have to shed the dirty clothes. Please don't shed your dirty clothes right now yet. Amen. We don't want no nakedness in the house. The younger son does not have to earn his, his place with the father again. It's freely given. If you're a younger son or a younger daughter, you don't have to earn it back. It's freely given. It doesn't matter what you've walked into doesn't matter where you've been. <clears throat> doesn't matter what you've experienced. He does not care. He wants to take you from where you're at and cover you with his love and his mercy and his grace and bring you in and say, now, let me show you how to walk as a son. Let me show you how to walk as my daughter. <clears throat> now let's go. Uh, we call the younger son the lawbreaker because he... He left everything, and he broke it all off, and he went off to do his own thing. He was the lawbreaker, because that's not the way God wanted us to do it. That's not the law, the good laws that God put in place for us to walk in. So he was the lawbreaker. Now let's talk about the older brother who was the law keeper. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. <clears throat> when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And never do you hear that. All these years I've been slaving for you. He thinks he's a servant in the father's house wow. instead of a son. Man, that's good. What happened? What happened? Yet you never, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Here's the law keeper. As the law keeper, this, the, the older brother has stayed in the father's house. He stayed close to him physically. But somewhere along the line, the heart has still gone far from him. Even though he's there in the house, in close proximity. Somewhere along the line, the older brother shifted into that servant mindset that works mentality, if you can go with me here, that I may be in the Father's house, but it's still not enough. I have to work to keep it. I have to work to be able to enjoy the inheritance. The problem with that thinking, 
this is me. The problem with that thinking is we start getting caught up in the, it's never enough. And it's never enough. So the brother is out in the field and he's working and he's slaving. If you can think about it in terms of he's going out into the field and he's acting like a servant and he's toiling and he's toiling and it's not enough to go back and enjoy the inheritance that the father's given him because it's already there. He can already walk in it. He could have a goat anytime he wants to have a goat. He can have a calf anytime he wants to have a calf. He can celebrate with his friends anytime, but he never asks. Why? Why does he never ask? Why does he say you never gave it to me? His father says it's been here all along. You've missed it. Church, not lighthouse. Not lighthouse. We're not going to miss it. We're not going to miss it. Jesus addressed the son as he addressed the Pharisees in the New Testament. He told the Pharisees, you look really good on the outside. You're whitewashed. You're beautiful. You look really good. But you're a whitewashed tomb. People may walk by you every day and never notice that you're a tomb because you look so whitewashed and beautiful on the outside. But I know that inside there's deadness. I know inside there's dry bones. Will you let me crack open your whitewashed tomb and breathe life back? That's what he's saying to us today. In those dead places where we have thought that if we do more for Jesus, if we are better, if we're more perfect, if we not mess up, if we, if we, if we, we. even last night as I was struggling with, with, I always have a hard time. My brain goes a thousand miles an hour. Anybody have that problem? It has way more in it that I think is necessary to have in it. And I can't figure out how to. So I've got all this because this is a work the Lord is doing in me. So because my emotions and my feelings and my brain is all mixed up in this word that he's been doing in me, I'm trying to figure out how to put it together and get it out without to you guys. (laughs) So I'm like, my cry is, Lord, please give me clarity and order. But even last night as I'm finishing my notes and finishing this stuff up, I find myself back in this place like this older brother of striving for it and slaving over it and saying, saying, God, just help me to have a little clearer. Help me to do a little bit more. Help me to have a little bit. And the Holy Spirit just ever so gently says, will you stop striving? And I, I can't, this is exactly what I said to him. Lord, I have a hard time asking you to do a supernatural work because I don't feel like I've done as good as I could do on this message. And the Holy Spirit says, it was never dependent on how good you could do it anyway. (laughs) Who am I kidding? But this is how subtly the enemy does it with us. We get to that place where we think, it's my fault 
It's my fault. I didn't do enough. I can't perform well enough. I can't do it well enough. I can't make these people love me enough. I can't, I can't, I can't. And we toil and we slave like this old, older brother. And then we say, but God, you didn't or you didn't or why couldn't I? And he says, it's been here all along. You just couldn't get your eyes off of toiling and off of striving to see that the inheritance was already yours and you could walk in it. We have to be a people. I could jump for joy because I'm just getting this, people. Come on. <laughs> Get excited with me. As the body of Christ, we have to make sure that we do not allow ourselves to stay in the place of the mentality of the older brother. The works mentality, the Pharisee mentality. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you're like cups and dishes that are so clean on the inside, but when I look on the inside, it's filled with junk. And you're content to drink out of the junk. And the Pharisees said, no, 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 there's no junk in there. That was how they acted. They were so concerned about what they look like on the outside. And the Holy Spirit is always trying to point back onto the inside and said, let me look at the condition inside. Come on, open up. Let me see the condition inside. I want to wash some areas in there. You got to let me. Let me show you where there's stuff caked in you. And let me wash that out. Because I don't want you to live like a servant. I want you to be a son. And I want you to be a daughter. And I want you to walk in the fullness of my inheritance. And when you think like a servant, you don't get the activity of the inheritance. Yes. It's only activated and experienced as a child of the king. Yeah, that's right. Not as a servant of the king. He was the law keeper. And everybody else should keep the law like you keep the law. <laughs> I know some of y'all have been there. I'm not the only one that's been there. But that works mentality, like the Pharisees, takes you to a place. It takes you to cross over that line that now begins to judge all around you to live the standard that you think needs to be lived. You're so busy working, everybody should be working this field the way I'm working this field. And if you're not working the field the way I work in the field, then you're just like a younger brother to me. I'm not even coming out to look for you. There is no indication that the older brother ever went to search for his brother, younger brother, to see if he was okay, to see what was happening, to try to talk with him and see what was going on in his spirit and in his heart and to bring him back to the fold. Never happened. Not only that, but I believe the older brother probably put up such an, it was so known his attitude to all the servants around that when the younger brother came back, nobody even bothered to go tell him. He had to come back in from the field to find out there was a celebration. Nobody even bothered to go tell him. Why do you think that is? Because of his spirit of judgment on his brother. You might be a lawbreaker, I mean a law keeper, if you often feel like you need to do more to feel like God's pleased with you or that he'll accept you. You struggle to see or accept all that God has given you because you think you don't really deserve it or it's only if you can be more righteous. 
You try to hold others to the same or greater standard that you're living in because you think your way is more righteous. And so you live in moral superiority, which you would never, you and I would never say that about ourselves because it's so subtle. But boy, the Holy Spirit will show us. You feel like you can't ask God for something because you don't think you've done enough. Or you judge someone else for what they did, then you turn around and do it yourself. You see, the younger brother humiliated his father, but the older brother turned around and did the same. The father said, I want to have a celebration. Will you come in to celebrate? And the older brother said, no way. I've done all these things. Culturally, it tells us that that was the same as a shouting match between the father and the son because his responsibility was to walk alongside of his father and participate in this. And he said, no. So he, not only did the younger son offend his father, but the older son offended his father. The younger brother squandered his inheritance and the older brother was judging him for squandering his inheritance, but the older brother is squandering his own inheritance because he can't see to live in it because he's so busy toiling and trying to do enough and do his own works of righteousness. Our own works of righteousness are never, ever enough. But the wonderful thing is when encountering the precious goodness of the Lord... We see with that last passage of scripture how the father wants us all to participate in the celebration. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Difference between that behavior that mentality and that of the older brother who became angry and refused to go in and said, the younger brother saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the older brother saying, I've worked enough to be called your son. Neither one can receive the inheritance until they respond to the grace and the mercy and the love of the father and let all the rest go. That's the turning point. That's the place of repentance. All of you law keepers in here, like me, the Father's love and mercy and grace says to you, you do not need to earn it. You don't have to work for it. The same thing he told the younger brother, he says to us, you cannot work enough to earn my love. He says in his word that even our righteousness, all our good hard works are still like filthy rags, meaning they're never enough. But here's the cool thing. When he brings the son in back into the house, back into the home property, he calls out to the servants, go quick, get a robe, get a ring, get sandals. Kill the fattened calf and prepare the celebration. So when there's a place of repentance, he brings out his robe of righteousness. Jesus gave us a robe of righteousness. What that means is when he died on the cross, when his sin was, when his blood was poured out, it was the covering for our sin. Well, we don't, 
to, to give us the perspective of that and the picture of that, it's like Jesus took off his sinlessness, his robe, and he put it over our shoulders to cover our sinfulness. It's a robe of righteousness that we can't do anything to earn being righteous before him. He says, I didn't ask you to earn it. I did it for you. So to show you I did it for you, I'm going to cover your stuff with my robe of righteousness. So here comes the servant carrying the robe. The son hasn't cleaned up yet. He's probably stinks. He is nasty. And the father says, let's put on my robe of righteousness. It was an invitation back in as a son. There's nothing you could do to earn your way back in, child of mine. That's okay. I've already done it for you. I cover you in my robe of righteousness. And so then he says, let's put this ring on his finger. The ring signified authority and restoration of his identity as a son. It meant he could now act on the father's behalf. Guess what? All your inheritance, all your abundance, it's restored. I've given it to you. You have full authority. You have my robe of righteousness. You have my ring. This is my authority. You can live in it. You can walk in it. You can have it all. It's yours. Here's the proof. Put the ring of authority on him. Then he put the shoes back on his feet. Because remember I told you the slaves didn't have shoes? But sons had shoes. So he brings out sandals and he puts them back on his feet. You're mine. I'm showing you. You're no longer a servant. You are my son. I put the shoes on your feet. Now walk in it. Don't go back to servanthood. Don't go back to that. Walk in it. And then he says, let's have the fattened calf. The slaying of that calf reminds us of the work that Jesus did for us. It gives the opportunity to sit down at his table and celebrate and have fellowship with him again because of the work he did for us. That was the joy. My son is going to sit right here beside me and we're going to enjoy this feast of everything I provided together. He wants you to sit down beside him and enjoy this feast of everything he's provided. And then the celebration, the music, the dancing, the excitement, the joy. The celebration, in my mind, was always for the son. But as I studied the scriptures, the celebration was never about a person. Although the angels do rejoice when when one comes back home. Even when the lawbreakers come back home or the law keepers come back home. The angels rejoice, but the celebration was all about him. It was all about the fact that his work was done. His work was accomplished because the son was now back in the fold. Evil was overcome. Jesus was victorious. The father was over the moon. Let's celebrate. I'm celebrating that my work has been accomplished and that my son is sitting at my table. It's all about him. But the older brother could only see that it was a celebration of someone else's lack, someone else's uh, fact that their righteousness was not enough, their works were not enough. The son could not see it. And so when the father says, I want you to come sit at the table and celebrate with us, 
I don't know what happened after the father said, but here, let me tell you again why we've got to do this. I'm not sure, but I, th- I feel like the word is left open for us because that works mentality that I need to earn my righteousness mentality, I need to do more, I need to do more, is the place where many of us in the house of God, in the church, find ourselves. It's somehow I've got to do more to earn my righteousness and experience what God has, but then we never end up fully experiencing it because all we can do is concentrate on trying to do more. We've got ourselves in a catch-22, and we end up in this cycle And Jesus has confronted, the father has confronted this older son. Do you want to break the cycle? Because you have a chance to come and sit at my table and celebrate. Will you break the cycle? Church, will you break the cycle with me? I almost feel like because of the older son's mentality... His works mentality, I have to keep doing more, I have to strive, that that's the very thing that sent the younger brother off. Not, it's not the older brother's fault, per se, because the younger brother has his own will, but because that's the mentality that he experienced in the church, he said, I don't want anything to do with that, so I'm going to go try to do it on my own. But we know, Ian, that's a, that's a wasteland. Don't go there. Just because the church is acting like a Pharisee, don't go there. It's a wasteland. It'll destroy you. Just because the church tells you you're not good enough or you should do more, or there are people, I shouldn't say the church, people in the church that are Pharisee mindsets, you say, if that's the way a Christian acts, I don't want to do, I don't want to do that. Don't do that. You've got your eyes on the wrong thing. Just like the older brother had his eyes on the wrong thing. Don't put your eyes there. Put your eyes on the father. That's the celebration. Put your eyes on the father. That's where the, that's where the celebration and the fullness of everything that he has for you comes to pass is at that celebration place. So don't look at whether everybody in the church is doing it right or they're being Pharisees or work-minded. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Because otherwise you'll end up in the wasteland. Or you'll end up like the Pharisee, works mentality. You keep your eyes on Jesus and stay in his grace and his love and his mercy. And then if you're one of the ones who's saying, you know, I've been that works mentality. That's been me. I've, I've never felt like I can do enough. Well, today there's an invitation from the Father. You're encountering his love and his grace and mercy today. Would you all stand with me? And he says, enough. Will you lay that down and come to the table and celebrate? My younger son has already laid his down, his stuff down. He's coming to the table to celebrate. Now will you, the one who's already been living in the inheritance, the one who's already had everything at at your hand, you've just not remembered it or you've you've forgotten it or you've gotten your eyes so off focus that you, you haven't been able to walk in it. You know what? Come to the table. Lay it all down and come to the table.